I was remembering a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who was not a believer. And his words came to mind. Man, that fool ain't going to do nothing. Was his response as I tried to talk him out of robbing the liquor store. (laughs) He was thinking about the security guard who had the identity of law enforcement or someone with authority, but who was out of shape, didn't have a gun. All he had was a flashlight, and whom apparently my friend was not scared of. In our passage this morning, we find that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is the Son of God and proves it by displaying his authority in his teaching and over the demonic world, which requires a response of all people. So please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be reading chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And if you're using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find it on page 836. Mark 1, 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuking him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. If you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. Jesus' identity and authority require a response. Repentance or rejection. Jesus' identity and authority require a response. Repentance or rejection. And if you're taking notes, we'll be making three observations about Jesus' authority this morning. The first observation we'll make is that his word is authoritative. And we find that in verses 21 through 22. Second, his identity is authoritative, 23 through 26. And his authority requires a response, verses 27 through 28. And if you didn't get all of those, we'll be tackling them as we walk through the text, and uh, I'll repeat them again. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at some of the important details of the Gospel of Mark. And as a refresher, I'll briefly mention some of those details to help, help us situate our passage this morning. So Mark begins his Gospel by telling us that his account is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we mentioned in the past... The word gospel means good news. And this, is, and this good news is directly related to Jesus, the Son of God. So this should lead us to ask the question, well, what is this good news? 
Well, in order to understand this good news, we first have to understand the bad news. Prior to the arrival of Jesus, man had created a problem for himself that he could not fix. The Bible tells us that man was created by God and for God, meaning that man was to enjoy his existence by living under God's good rule. The problem came in when man willingly decided to rebel against God by rejecting Him, by rejecting His rule and His authority. So man made a conscious decision to not submit to God. Um, And here, uh, the Bible points to Adam and Eve, where they willingly ate from the tree that God prohibited them from eating from. And in doing so, man showed that he thought it best to disobey God taking God's good gifts and using them however they pleased. This created a separation between God and man, rebels against a good and loving king. And the natural consequence for this, the Bible says, is um, death. This act of treason against uh, against the good and loving king was punishable by death. And since then, man was cast away from God's presence, wandering through the earth, looking for a way to be made right with God. Now, God in His kindness promised to provide a solution to man's problem, which was uh, to provide a Savior, His very Son, Jesus Christ, the one who would save His people, the one who would save all who would turn away from their rebellion and return to Him under His own terms. Now, as we, if you look at your Bible, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is a history of how God in His love kept His promise to send a Savior to save His people and to restore His rule in their lives. Man's rebellion, it's important to note that man's rebellion never took away God's kingship or His authority. Man only rejected God, earning judgment and wrath. But despite this rejection, God continued to pursue sinful people who would repent and submit to His good rule. God would act on man's behalf by working powerfully to rescue and to create a people for Himself. And the only way that man could be made right with God would be by God coming into this world and taking upon His wrath on behalf of all who would repent and believe. This is God's work. And this work, this promise that God had made, would, be, would come about as God established an eternal king whose authority would last forever, which would be fulfilled in His Son. This king would come in a way that was unexpected. He would come as a servant, as one who would suffer on behalf of His people, taking the penalty that man deserves. And so the Old Testament account of God's establishing His kingdom, helps us understand our passage for today. Man was in desperate need of saving, having no way to make himself right before God. But God offers this good news of deliverance and salvation, which is what Mark references in Mark 1. And this is why Mark begins by saying that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the Jewish people of this time knew that God reigned and that God was king. They understood that God would send a savior. And so they were waiting expectantly for this savior to arrive and for God to fulfill his promise. 
And so this is the good news that we find here in Mark. Mark tells us that the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And he tells us how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that God would send someone. And that's why he begins in chapter 1 by telling us about John the Baptist and how John prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry by being baptized by John, then being led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Coming out triumphantly from the desert, then calling his disciples to himself, And this brings us to our passage this morning. So now let's make the first observation about Jesus' authority. His word is authoritative, verses 21 through 22. We are told that Jesus called his first four disciples, and after doing so, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that this took place on the Sabbath. The Sabbath means day of rest in Hebrew. And it was a day of rest that took place on the seventh day of the week, which for us would be uh, on a Saturday. And according to Jewish tradition, the Sabbath started from about sunset on Friday and continued until Saturday sunset. And the keeping of the Sabbath was to be a reminder for the Israelites that they were being set apart for a holy God. One of the reminders. And as we learn in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled the purpose of the Sabbath in that He is the one in whom His people find rest. And so what that means for Christians today is that we are not bound to keep the Sabbath because God has promised to forgive sin and to have right fellowship with those who trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross. The next thing we see in these verses is that Jesus entered the synagogue. And a synagogue was a local congregation or a house of worship with officers that were in charge of the services, but without set preachers. This was where Jewish communities would meet for prayer, for scripture reading from the law or the prophets, and for teaching from these readings. Those capable of teaching could stand um, or would be invited to encourage the congregation with specific passages from the scriptures that were being read. And we find an example of this uh, in Acts 13.15, where Paul and his companions entered a synagogue on the Sabbath. And I'll read it to you. It, we, we, we find in Acts that after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. And Paul got up and began to preach the gospel to them. And so this is what we find Jesus doing at at the synagogue on this day. In verse 21, we find that Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, while Mark doesn't give us the text from which Jesus taught, we can safely assume that Jesus began to teach them the good news and how the scriptures were fulfilled in him. For example, in Luke's gospel, we're told that Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after reading the passage, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so if you look at Mark 1, 14-15, we find that this is how Jesus began his ministry. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here we have Jesus coming into the house of worship and beginning to explain what the prophecies meant and how, were, how they were fulfilled in Him. Can you imagine what this would be like? After hundreds of, hundreds of years of expectation for God to fulfill His promise to send the Messiah, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus before all in the synagogue to tell them that the promise was being fulfilled. And what's interesting about this teaching is the reaction that it had on those who were present in the synagogue that day. If you look, at there, look there at verse 22, we read, And they were astonished and Jesus, at Jesus' teaching, for He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Scribes, who were also known as teachers of the law, were experts in the law of Moses. According to commentators, they generally taught by citing the traditions of the fathers, of their fathers. In other words, they taught according to the traditions of those who came before them. So you can picture a scribe, after reading from the scrolls, standing before the congregation and saying, Rabbi so-and-so, says this, and Rabbi so-and-so says this, basing their teachings on traditions that only scratch the surface of God's intention for them. On the other hand, here we have Jesus teaching the people with authority or as one who possessed an intimate and accurate knowledge of the mind of God. Jesus had no need to quote from rabbis nor did he need to base his teaching on the traditions of men. While the scribe's knowledge was borrowed, Jesus' knowledge was personal, and it was of God. Once again, we aren't given the passage that, that Jesus preached from, but we can take from Jesus' other teachings in the Gospels to get an idea of what was taking place in his teaching that would lead, that would lead people to be astonished. For example, in the famous Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, we find examples of the authority that Jesus' teaching carried. I'll give you one example. In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, Jesus taught them about adultery. And this is what He said. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so here we have Jesus getting to the root of the commands of God given in the Old Testament. This was no surface level teaching. 
Jesus got to the root of the heart issues of sin, exposing the hearts of man. Picture yourself sitting before Jesus in the congregation and Him beginning to reveal to you as the Word is being exposited the deepest secrets of your heart. Taking, it's like taking a flashlight and turning it on in, in the dark areas of your heart that you think that nobody knows about. And all of a sudden, the Word of God comes and flashes that light, showing you that you are not the only one that knows what's there. That God knows every thought, every desire, every action, every plan in your heart. Wouldn't that lead you to be astonished and say, who told you that? How did you know? And, and Jesus taught as one who had authority. So Jesus not only diagnosed the problem with his authority, he also prescribed the right medicine or the right response to particular sins that he addressed. If you go to a doctor and you're going to be prescribed, if you're sick and you're going to want to be prescribed some medicine, I'm sure that you would go with someone who has the authority with the right knowledge of diagnosing your condition and prescribing the right medicine for that condition. You wouldn't just go to anyone. Well, this is exactly what Jesus was doing. Getting at the heart issues of man. And Jesus continued teaching on the same subject. The response. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye, and if your right hand, excuse me, causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus' teaching was and continues to carry weight. His word has the highest authority in that it comes directly from the creator and Lord of all that exists. He sets the standard for what is right and what is wrong. Because He is God. And what He says goes and must be obeyed because there is no greater authority apart from Him. And if there did exist a higher authority, Jesus would no longer be God. And His Word would be insignificant. But there is none greater than Jesus. His Word is the standard. His Word is how we are called to live by As His creation, we do not have the option to redefine what He has declared to be right and wrong. Can you see how His teaching would be different than that of the scribes? Can you see why the people were astonished at His teaching? His word carries authority that is to to be obeyed by those who love Him. It is to be obeyed by all but those who love Him will obey Him. So Christian, how do you react to Jesus' teachings? Does the authority of Jesus' word lead you to obey Him? 
not out of fear, but out of love for what He has done for you on the cross. Out of an understanding that He is God and that His Word is good and it's good for you. Do you submit to His Word because He is your Lord and you want to please Him? If not, part of the good news of the Gospel is that we have an abundance of forgiveness for our sins when we confess our sins to Him. This is the reason that Jesus came to save us from our sins. So He calls us to turn away when we fall short and to turn to Him in right response. And depending on Him for forgiveness and for new desires to obey His Word. He has promised that all who seek Him will find Him. To the one who asks, it will be given. And the door will be opened to those who knock. If you find yourself not having a desire to obey Jesus, turn to Him in prayer and ask Him. For He has said, anything that you ask in my name, and the important part here is, according to my will, He will answer. So if you turn to Him and ask Him, to help you to respond rightly to His teachings, He will work in your heart so that you would learn to love Him and obey Him as He is worthy of. So brothers and sisters, be astonished at the authority of His Word because it is good for you. It is good for all. This Jesus rules with love, mercy, and compassion to all who submit to Him. So now that we've seen the authority of Jesus' Word, Let's move to our second observation. His identity is authoritative. And we see that in verses 23 to 26. If you think about our passage as a movie, you can think of this next section as the following scene. The camera is focused on Jesus as He is in the synagogue teaching the Word of God. Those present on that Sabbath are giving Jesus their full attention, astonished at His teaching, when all of a sudden, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit who cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Whoa. What's going on here? Out of nowhere, one of the men in the synagogue interrupts Jesus as he teaches the Word of God. Now the description, unclean spirit, is a Jewish way of referring to a demon, a spirit being in opposition to God. For the second time in Mark's Gospel, we find Jesus encountering opposition from the kingdom of Satan. The first time was there in chapter 1, verse 13, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And so these details that Mark provides for us in his gospel are details that help us understand that Jesus had real opposition from the kingdom of Satan or the demonic world. So some of you may be wondering, whoa, what are demons? Are they real? What's this about? Because we live in the Western world, we don't hear as much about demonic activity as much as in other parts. And there may be different reasons for this. 
But here is what we do know about the demonic world according to Scripture. Demons are fallen angels who willingly rebelled with Satan against God. You can find this in Revelation 12. When Satan rebelled in heaven, one third of the angels followed him. There in Revelation 12, and you can reference Jude 6. Demons are spiritual beings that have the ability to possess physical bodies as seen in our passage today, here in verse 23. We also know that Jesus encountered many demons during his ministry on earth. And in every occasion, they were no match for Jesus. We see that Jesus exercised his authority over all of them, proving to be God. And Paul writes to us in Colossians 2.15 that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And the Apostle John teaches us that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So to clear a common misconception, the Bible does not teach that demons can possess believers. Because some have been led to believe that because this was taking place in a synagogue that a Christian can be possessed. The Bible teaches us that this cannot happen to a child of God because those who belong to God have been given the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in the hearts of believers. Both God and demon cannot dwell together in the same heart. Now I want to draw your attention to three things in verse 24. One, the unclean spirit knew Jesus' identity. We see that in the first part of verse 24. We know this because the Spirit addressed Jesus by name. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus was referred to as Jesus of Nazareth because this is where Jesus lived until he began his public ministry. It may be that he was also referenced, uh, referred to as Jesus of Nazareth because it fulfilled the prophecy about the promised Savior's lowliness of birth, according to Isaiah. And Nazareth was known to be a place of low standing. And this is why Nathanael's response to Philip about Jesus being the one who was foretold by the prophets was, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? For he didn't believe that Jesus would come from Nazareth. So it's possible that the unclean spirit knew that Jesus was the one whom the prophets foretold. We also have to keep in mind that when the angel revealed himself to Joseph, telling him about the birth of Jesus, he called Joseph to name him Jesus, because this Jesus would free, uh, would save his people from their sins. The next thing we note is that the unclean spirit also knew about Jesus' mission. The question, what have you to do with us, is a Hebrew idiom that can carry the sense What do you have against us? Or, leave us alone. In other words, the spirits recognized Jesus as the one who would come to set things straight again. They would be judged by Him at the right time. And they knew this. The Apostle John puts it this way, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so they knew what Jesus' arrival meant for them. 
The third thing we notice is that the unclean spirit knew Jesus' divinity. Notice that the spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There in verse 24 in the end. This is a title for Jesus' deity. Just as, God, just as God revealed Himself to be the Holy One of Israel in the Old Testament, in numerous passages, Jesus here is recognized by the unclean spirit to be God in the flesh, the very Holy One of God. And Jesus Himself validated this, and we find this in the Gospels, when He identified Himself as having come down from heaven, not to do His own will, but to do the will of Him who sent Him. So the knowledge of Jesus' identity, mission, and divinity was not enough to make the unclean spirit be spared by Jesus. It did not make him right with God, even though he knew all of the right things about Jesus. The recognition of Jesus' identity proved that he is God and has come to undo the works of the devil to restore creation to its right place. So Jesus had compassion on the man that was possessed. And he showed this compassion by commanding the unclean spirit to be silent and ordering him to come out of him. And we see that the unclean spirit not only recognized Jesus' identity, but he also submitted to him by immediately obeying Jesus' command. So Mark shows us that Jesus' identity has implications, namely that Jesus has authority over the demonic realm. And so why is this important? Well, the Bible is clear that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, which is a cheap imitation of this kingdom. And the kingdom of Satan is one in which he holds limited authority over the world system and is in direct opposition to God. And this accounts for the distortion in the world, but also for the demon possession that we come across in our passage and in other places in the Gospels. So while the Bible doesn't tell us why God allows for Satan's rule, it does tell us that Jesus is the only way out by repenting of one's sins and trusting in Christ. And once again, this is good news. Jesus has stepped into the scene, not only to cast spirits out, but to put a final end to the kingdom of Satan and to make all things right again, which will take place in its right time. So Christian, how does Jesus' identity encourage you when your faith is being challenged? Does the fact that Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins, give you boldness to live for the glory of his name? Does it enable you to rest in His finished work on the cross? Because He is who He says He is. Brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged that we have a mighty Savior as our God, who is powerful even over the forces of evil. And if you're not a Christian, and you're visiting us this morning, we're happy that you're with us. And so I want to ask you, how does Jesus' divinity make you feel? 
Scripture teaches us that Jesus is God Himself and has come into this world to offer salvation to rebellious people who have chosen not to live under God's good rule, but who have rejected Him and thus earned for themselves right, righteous judgment. And so Jesus willingly set all of His glory aside, came into this world, lived the life that was expected of each and every one of us, died the death that each and every, every one of us deserves to die, all so that we would be have the opportunity to be made right, right with God again. The Bible tells us that man cannot save himself. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. Only Jesus can save us. And Jesus offers this free forgiveness found in Him. A mere mental assent of Jesus' identity is not what you or anyone need. God calls all people to submit to His good and caring rule in exchange for eternal life with Him. In exchange for a relationship with Him where you would come to enjoy Him and know Him as He created us to do so from the very beginning. So now that we've seen the authority in Jesus' identity, we move to our last observation. Jesus' authority requires a response. And we see that in verses 27 through 28. Here we read, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. So once again, Mark draws our attention to a few more, so, so some more responses from those that were present in the synagogue. We read that after Jesus displayed his authority over the unclean spirit, all of the people there were left amazed, in amazement. You can imagine what ordinary life in the synagogue would look like if someone else had tried to rebuke an evil spirit. A Jewish exorcist would have relied on his many words, potions or tools to try to get out of to try to get rid of the demon. And it probably would have taken a long time, a long discussion going back and forth before any kind of resolution took place. But not on this day. In Jesus, there was a display of authority by the very one who was sent by God to usher in God's kingdom. Jesus had no need to rely on borrowed words or tools or strength. His very words came with authority and they were obeyed at once, just as when He spoke the world into existence. Another thing we notice is that these folks questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey Him. What was new to them had already existed since the beginning of creation. What the people were experiencing was the Almighty God entering into our world to fight against the works of the evil one. And after experiencing nothing but bad news, here came the good news Himself, 
Jesus Christ. Jesus not only brought the good news of forgiveness of sin, He Himself was the good news. He is the good news to sinners to save us from our sin, to save us from our um, disrupted relationship with God. And according to Mark, the answer to their question was this. Let me tell you who this is, or let me tell you what this is. It is God manifesting Himself in the flesh, on the battleground, combating and triumphing over the forces of evil. It was God ruling the world and now evident and present with His people. Jesus is the real deal, with real words of authority, demonstrating that He is the Holy One of God. And so we see a few things here in these verses. The unclean spirit not only recognized Jesus, but He also obeyed. When Jesus called the spirit to be silent, the spirit had no option other than to do what He was told. He could not resist. All he could do was obey. We also notice that the unclean spirit's obedience shows us where the greater power rests. And here is in Jesus. The crowd saw that Jesus had no trouble in taming the unclean spirit, which then had implications for his teaching and his identity. If the demons obey what Jesus commands, then surely his identity and his teachings must be true. And we also note that Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And this is important because Jesus' fame spread everywhere and it meant different things to different people. Their question, what is this, is one that people would continue to ask as Jesus went about accomplishing His mission. While Jesus went on to do many other great miracles, such as providing food for multitudes, healing the sick, calming storms, and exercising His power even over death, many would still not understand Jesus' true identity. The disciples didn't understand it until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. To some, Jesus was just another miracle worker who had the power to heal. To others, Jesus Jesus was one who provided free health care as He healed the sick. The problem is that if that was all Jesus was to them, then His identity and His authority was of little value. So why is Jesus' identity important? This is why Jesus would eventually ask His disciples a very important question uh, in chapter 8, 27 through 29. Jesus wanted to make sure His disciples knew who He was because His identity had important implications. In eight twenty-seven, Jesus asked, Who do people say that I am? This question was a life changer for them, and it is for us today because the answer would determine whose side they were on. His disciples responded, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. But Jesus pressed His disciples a little more by then making the question a little more personal by asking, But who do you say that I am? 
And Mark gives us this account of Jesus' life so that we would be convinced that Jesus is not just another Jewish exorcist or a miracle worker. Jesus did indeed perform these works and many more. And they were, they were a display of His mercy and His compassion towards people who were helpless. Jesus' miracles helped to serve, to help confirm and support His gospel message. But it was more than that. This Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus came doing what only God could do. And Jesus came to fulfill His mission as He was sent by the Father to come in to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the Messiah who was set apart by God to come into this world, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He is God in the flesh. And if this is true, which it is, then His teaching and His identity holds great implications for you today. Everyone is called to respond to this Jesus and will respond in one or two ways. You can either reject Jesus' authority and identity and continue to live under your own rule, or you can repent and trust in Jesus' identity and authority the one who has the ability to forgive sins and save us from the coming judgment, making us right with God. We cannot respond with both. We are to respond to Jesus, the good King, who has put everything aside so that He would seek and save. We are to respond with Him in obedience, knowing that He is a good and loving King, who has demonstrated His love by coming into this world when He didn't have to, and willingly laying His life down for you. This is the good and loving King who has come to seek and to save those who would repent. So if you're visiting us this morning, this message is for you. It's good news. This is the message that Christians around the world and from those who have come before us have believed and it's the best news that we have ever heard that we were created by God and for God and God has provided a way for us to be made right with Him by trusting in His Son and repenting of our sins. If you have any questions about this Jesus or about this gospel, feel free to ask me or Pastor Jeremy or anyone who's here in the church And we'd be more than happy to tell you more about Him and how this good news can be yours too. In conclusion, our passage this morning teaches us that Jesus is the Son of God who possesses all authority over all of His creation, including the demonic realm. And it requires a a response. We see His authority in His teaching, We see His authority in His identity. And He calls us to respond to Him in repentance and faith by trusting in Him in His finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for being a mighty Savior who is powerful to save. We thank You that You offer free forgiveness to rebellious people like ourselves by turning away from our sins and trusting in your son's perfect life and his perfect obedience, his death and his resurrection.
Father, we pray that we would not forget that you are a strong and powerful God who has authority and that we are called to submit to your authority knowing that your authority is not burdensome, that your authority is not evil or mean or heavy, but that your authority is good for us, that it is the means by which you rule the world that you created all for our good and for your glory. We pray that you would change our hearts so that we would submit where we find it difficult to submit. And so that in our submission, we would testify to the watching world that you are a good and loving king who is worthy to be obeyed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.